your prime. Visit classic horror films and other pulp fiction. Today we take a look at the Mike Nichols horror love story, Wolf. This is a film about Jack Nicholson wrestling with the animal within and then literally wrestling with James Spader. With me to talk about it is Dr. Anthony Ladon. <laughs> what was the best James Spader film? Oof. Um... Let, let me rephrase that. Has there ever been a good James Spader film? Because I, I was going to say, I think it's Wolf. <laughs> Steve, in my book, not enough films have the phrase, I'm going to get you. Right. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Uh, I'm glad you led with that because uh, <laughs> that, that was the big moment, right? I mean, <laughs> that or or one moment. of them. That was the moment. For our protagonist. <laughs> The guy who's had literary sand kicked in his face gets on the come up and mm-hmm. he decides he's going to push back a little bit. And what he has to say to the bully is, <laughs> I'm going to get you. It's funny. Like, you, you, there was a point, you know, in watching this movie where, like, kind of like before, I'm like, you know, Jack Nicholson just has a certain air of, like, like gravitas to him, right? Like, he can almost get away with anything. And then yeah. this movie says, not so fast. Not so fast. Now, and in, here's his the, defense, here's the... in his defense, he's only been a werewolf for a few weeks. He's <laughs> like a true. baby werewolf. So he doesn't really know all the lingo yet. Early stages of lycanthropy would suggest, look, your, your senses are going to be heightened. Your appetite's going to be voracious. Your confidence level's going to go through the roof. Catchphrases, that's not going to happen right away. <laughs> you need a couple years under yeah. your belt. Yeah, I mean, people just, I love the whole idea. It goes through everything. It just looks like, I'm going to get you. <laughs> I love the idea that that was one of multiple takes, too. Like, what were the other, I'm going to get you? Like, or like, was that, or did he say something else? And it was just like, nah, man, I'm not buying it. Or was it like, no, no, it has to be, I'm going to get you. I bet you, <laughs> given the the tone of this movie, I bet you it was some kind of wolfy pun. <laughs> and he tried like four or five wolfy puns and he just decided <laughs> to call an audible and say, I'm going to get you. Yeah. It's like, you know what? All of these things, they aren't working for me, Mike gonna go out on a limb just keep the camera rolling so steve do you have a an elevator pitch for 1994 wolf starring jack nicholson (laughs) uh i guess you would say is nicholson pfeiffer bad werewolf movie can i just say that this movie has an amazing cast it has an amazing cast. If yeah. you are going to cast the perfect bad werewolf movie, this is the cast you want. Right. Who's better at that that role than James Spader? The very minute I saw him on the screen, I knew it was going to happen. I knew, like, you're going to be a bad guy. You're going to die. Someone's going to kill you. 
Yeah. I was pretty sure it was going to be Nicholson. This is the first time I've seen this movie. I found it delightful. I found and I it think it's, And I think delightful. it's something to be said. None of the... Okay, this uh, clear. This is not a good movie. Uh, I can't stress that enough. But it is watchable. It I is don't very know, watchable. I'm not willing to say it's not a good movie. Well, that's I, fine. I really we, disag- we disagreed on the Batman. <laughs> well, let me just say this. So for those of you trying to tally at home who you might want to listen to <laughs> in your movie selection process. I do have a special I do have a special affinity for werewolves. There's just something about the whole mythology around the werewolf that I'm, I'm going to give a little bit of extra. Like, for me, it's like spaceships. Yeah, you give me spaceships, I'm going to forgive a lot of other things. <laughs> Same thing with werewolves. There's just something about the werewolf that I think, who would I want top billing on a werewolf movie in 1994? It's Jack. There's no one else. There's right. no one else I would want. And, and who do I want opposite Jack? I want James Spader. And if I need a love interest who's a little bit wolfy herself, <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer. Absolutely Michelle Pfeiffer. Nobody got, in this movie mails it in either. No one mails it in. Really small parts. Like you've got Alice and Janney in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got Ross from Friends as a cop. And then you're going to need someone who's richer and more powerful than Jack Nicholson. Christopher Plummer. Yeah. Because the danger with that role is that Jack steals every scene. You're going to need someone with more gravitas than Jack. Right. And so there are very few people who can pull that off, but Christopher Plummer is absolutely one of the guys who can. So this movie is pretty amazing in terms of casting. So that's the thing, right? So this movie is well cast. I think everybody put out their best werewolf effort. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it does sort of beg the question, are werewolf movies up against it just right out the gate? Just because they're werewolf Because <laughs> it's a werewolf movie, right? I mean, like, at some point you're going, look, are we want to make this movie have, like, a potent love story or it's going to mm-hmm. have some sort of a commentary on maybe... Uh, ageism in the workplace. There's all these various things that you want to go through. And you go, but at the core of it, a guy is going to be turning into a werewolf on occasion. And you're the other way. You're like, you're like, dude, give me, give me a movie that's about werewolves. And then you do, you figure out the rest. (laughs) I was going to say that every scene of this movie that doesn't have a werewolf in it is just really well acted. But I, it, as soon as yeah. they add the the werewolf element to it, it absolutely goes B movie, and then of course that makes me happy. Oh, you mean you mean you mean when Nicholson is is running to the apartment and he's kind of hunched over and he's, <laughs> <laughs> he's grabbing at himself all the time because he's turning into a werewolf. <laughs> it was weird because like he wasn't like I said he wasn't mailing it in, but it's not like he was going over the top either. Like Nicholson were like really there was some. Well, it, the movie wants. I mean, obviously, obviously, Mike <laughs> Mike Nichols, with his experience in making films like The Graduate, uh, obviously has a, a, a delicate hand when he's trying to do a werewolf movie. It is a little bit more subtle of a werewolf movie than you'll you'll see elsewhere, except for the moments when it clearly is not. Like you know, when he eats a deer. <laughs> see, and I and there, there are certain things that I'm willing to suspend. 
you know, disbelief and all that. I get it, right? You kind of have to. Okay, if I'm accepting the fact that he's going to turn into a werewolf, I should accept the fact that he might go out and eat a deer. But then the other part of me is like, so he's just not going to check for deer ticks at all. <laughs> this is a problem with canines in general. They have heightened senses. They are not able to detect ticks on their own body. Mm, that's fair. Just it's just part and parcel of being. But canine, but he's not all werewolf. He's not all wolf. I'm just saying, as a man, be like, where did this tick come from? Don't grab it by the body. You gotta get the head. Like, give me something. <laughs> I was gonna say for uh, elevator pitch. I was gonna say Teen Wolf meets Moonlighting. Oh, that's not bad. How about just he's gonna get you? <laughs> Could this movie exist in? The same universe as Teen Wolf? Uh, <laughs> like, this is, yeah, this, I, I love the idea that, you know, you got Michael J. Fox going through his journey. And, mm-hmm. uh, and meanwhile, like, it's like, well, you know, it's better if it happens to you younger. Yes. I'm going to give you my little pitch for how this fits in the same universe. Okay. First off, in both films, they don't fully wolf out initially, right? Mm-hmm. Partial. They, par- they, partial get wol- they get wolfy. And they have like super special powers when they get wolfy, like they can, you know, Michael J. Fox can can jump up and slam dunk the basketball, right? Even though he's like five foot one. Jack Nicholson can turn into a bad animatronic puppet. <laughs> That's right. Spoiler. That's right. So, in addition to that, you know, there is sort of a a full moon thing that's happening, but it doesn't necessarily have to happen during the full moon. Like you've get they like Jack has heightened senses all of the time, right? Yeah, that's a good point, right? So he's definitely like it's not a a switch on and off, right? It's not a switch on and off. In addition to all of that, he kind of get the sense that Jack Nicholson's a little bit unique when he goes to Doctor Alizaeus's house. Mm-hmm. The so called expert on werewolves says, "I've never seen one like you." So. Even if there are differences between Teen Wolf and Wolf, <laughs> it's explained in that encounter because Jack is somewhat unique. Yeah, so um, in Teen Wolf, it's uh, genetic. It's true. It is genetic. That's right. So the question is, is can he pass this down? However, and they don't. End they do up say. As they do say at one point. That there was wolf DNA in one of the victim's throats. Mm-hmm. So because Jack was bitten by the creature, his DNA is actually altered. So you could pass that down, theoretically. Sure, sure. But he does end up as a wolf, right? That's his, his, he's going, this is him eventually turning into a full wolf, I guess. Well, wolf puppet. A wolf puppet, yeah. He turns into a wolf puppet. How how hard is it to get a, a a clip of a wolf? I'm guessing in '94, impossible. I think that they, what they were going for was impossible. They were like... It has to be impossible. <laughs> there had to be no footage of wolves. Even stock footage would have sufficed for me. What somebody had to build that animatronic puppet. It's true. They I think what they were going it. for was this is not a regular wolf, <laughs> and it has to match up with Jack Nicholson's eyes perfectly. There's the trick, right? Yeah. And that's tricky. You, you, th- that kind of wolf is impossible to get. 
<laughs> sure. I mean, I don't know what other what other films are coming around and effects and whatnot, but I mean, like you couldn't have like a wolf. <laughs> How about a big dog? I'd settle for a big dog. Like put smaller trees around it. <laughs> you know, like they do in Tom Cruise movies to make him look like he's a regular person. <laughs> Bring the clouds a little bit lower yeah. in certain scenes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, now, Jack is not a tall guy either. Okay. I actually crossed paths with Jack once on the sidewalk. I was amazed at how not tall he was. Because well, I'm not tall. Well, he was hunched over because he was trying to smell his way to that's, James Spader's apartment. That's true. I hadn't, I hadn't taken that into account. <laughs> All right. Who's this movie for, Steve? Oh, my God. I've been waiting for this question because I don't know. <laughs> I, I, so your voice was echoing, like, especially in the third act, like uh, asking the question. I'm just like, I constantly was like, who is this for? <laughs> like I was, it, as the scene after scene developed, I'm like, who, no, who is this for? Cause it's like, and I, and I just, I could not figure it out. Cause I'm like, all right, there's, there's a, uh, a love story angle, which is remarkably clunky. I've never been in love with someone like I am with you. Um, she seems terrible. Like she seems awful. They're both awful, and that's actually part of the film, I think. Because what Doctor Alizea says is that the only way that this works is if you're bitten, but you have to have a little bit of wolfish nature in you to begin with. Mm-hmm. And so, what ends up happening for him is he's got this wolf deep down inside, but he's right. he's been acting very very much like a puppy his whole life. Right. And then finally, when he gets bitten by the wolf, he doesn't just become sort of an animal. He becomes this kind of cutthroat businessman. Right. Well, she already is sort of that character, right? And so I think that there's something there's something about the wolf that's a metaphor for just sort of a, a cutthroat businessman in the early 90s. Yeah, so I and I think and I don't like I it's obviously focused on the wolf, but I think what Dr. Alizaeus is also I think what he's suggesting is we all have an animal inside and mm. it will be brought out. So that's why I don't go to the beach because I believe that I have a pelican uh at my core. And if I get bit by a pelican, I don't know what that means to be aware of pelican. You're gonna, be, you're gonna be guzzling down mackerel's hole. Yeah. I'm just sitting there just like, Are you gonna swallow that? <laughs> all right, so I think that this movie's for me. I, I just feel like <laughs> What do I want in a good movie? Well, we had to be for somebody. I want a really simple story about a werewolf. And I want the best actors in the world, but when it gets wolfy, I want it to be a B movie. It, it really is sort of the perfect movie for me. <laughs> what What is the David Hyde Pierce line when he's like, Jack's rattling off orders, like, I want you to go get this. And look, have they even, do we have these investors? <laughs> no, not yet, but we will. You're my god. You're my God. At that point, I was like, wow. That was like, I think, one of those first moments where I had the, who is this for moment? Because I'm like, I don't know what, I don't know what I'm supposed to feel here. Like, I was the thing. is, I, There's so much of it. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Like, I knew what was going on, but I also, it was just, there was so much of this, but why though? But why? Why this? 
And it was like, okay, well now, like, and everybody was getting like demoted and nobody's getting fired. And it was like, it was just constant, like, well, now he's in charge. You know, you're back in marketing. <laughs> James Spader's a weasel, but then he's not. And then he's like, I did. Lo- I mean, I, you're right, though. I mean, I was, everybody's super watchable. Everyone's really doing a great job. Uh, James Spader goes, I didn't know James Spader had that third act in him. Very uncomfortable. Very unsettling. <laughs> Very unsettling. I watched the third act with my son. Oh, wow. <laughs> and <laughs> Wow. And I was just trying to like point out like the stunt doubles because I thought it was really hilarious. Oh, yeah. Like, the stunt how, how, how noticeable the stunt double is. And like, how they were just like, you know what? Should we do something to obscure his face? No, just tighten in if you can. <laughs> so That's watching... not Jack Nicholson, though, right? It's like, mm-hmm, just tighten in. <laughs> tighten in on not Jack Nicholson. Like, you could have done more with... You could have made him more wolfy so that it's just a wolf mask at that point. But no, no, we're just going to... He had a Jack Nicholson mask on. So so we're watching the scene in the barn. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, why does... Well, I'm not thinking. I'm saying out loud. Why does one of these werewolves get to have a pitchfork? Like, <laughs> that, <laughs> that seems... Right. Yeah, when, the, when they start using weapons, I'm like, but you're werewolves. Like, you're that's... Wo- your werewolves, why don't you use your werewolf powers? Why do you need a pitch? Like, a pitchfork seems... I mean, look, there's a gun involved with this, right? Right, right. Which kind of makes sense, but you're like, is this a silver bullet? I guess that's not part of this mythology, I suppose. Right, right. Yeah, so that's the thing, is, is that... Well, see, and that's an interesting, interesting thing you bring up, too, is because I think we... we have encountered so many vampire movies, all the different rules. Yeah, garlic, crucifixes, sunlight, things Holy like water, that. yeah. And then you find out later, uh, you know, when you really dig into it, that, like, sunlight's not as big of an issue, at least in Bram Stoker's original novel. It's, it like, there's a certain strengthening that happens at night, but he's not, like, burning by the sun necessarily. Um, and same thing with, like, uh, you know, like... It, the wooden stake that maybe doesn't have to be a wooden stake. It can just be a stake, right? Like there's, so there are some variations of that have taken place over the years. We kind of have a basic sense of it. Like with wolves, werewolves, it's kind of simple, right? I mean, it's like, as far as we know, it's like, you got to have a silver bullet. Like that's, I mean, I guess wolf's bane is another thing that kind of keeps them away. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, really, you know, we don't, I don't feel like we have that same handle on it. Maybe it's not as intricate uh, a, uh, a lore as maybe the vampire. Yeah, so, I don't think so because so I'm, like, I, I was taken off at that point because then I'm because like, I'm now I'm thinking of like, well, are they silver? Do they have to be? And then again, I started asking, who is this for? <laughs> who is this for? Now I have been doing a lot of research on the, sort of the literary e- evolution of their werewolf lately. By a lot of research, I've been talking to a couple people and reading the book, so it's not that intensive. But I'm reading this book called Metamorphosis of the Werewolf by Leslie Scondido. And one of the things that she says in the book is that in the medieval period, in order to become a werewolf, it involves becoming completely naked. Now, that's not the only thing that's required, but (laughs) if you get naked and then you wolf out and someone steals your clothes, you cannot turn back. So, like, there's this story of, like, this knight who gets, he gets werewolfed, basically. He gets cursed. He becomes a werewolf. His wife finds out and steals his clothing. So he just has to live out his days as a werewolf because he's lost his clothing. Huh. Yeah, so 
to me, the werewolf is sort of this primal metaphor for like the shedding of all civility or something like that. Right. Well, I mean, it's, I mean, at the very core, I mean, it's, you know, it's animal instincts versus, you know, human trappings, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah it's, and, I, literally, it's, it's devolving, right? Right. And so, or in, but, it, but, but in a weird way, right? And, or, you know, at least maybe in the way that these lores try to work it out in these stories is that it, it, there's an, there's an evolving, right? Especially with the Nicholson character in some ways, he's becoming, he's becoming more, a, adept at the world he's trying to navigate in now you well he's become argument. superhuman because now he can smell who's been drinking and who hasn't but yeah and more to the point he has uh more of a vigor for going after what he believes is his right it's this uh it becomes more of an instinctual now it's a career survival moment right and he's up against the wall he's pinned mm-hmm. and so now he's going to come up with all this so whether or not he's more strategic is not really the issue the the issue is that he's less concerned about maybe some of the social mores that are that he's having to be working which, around, right? which makes him a better lover let's just be honest about this yeah sure i mean he's uh, lost his wife to james spader because he's been a, he's been a slack he's been a slack uh, and because he gets a little bit wolfy, all of a sudden he's got his appetites back. And uh, things change. And his appetites would include sex, but they would also include sort of career ambition, right? Mm-hmm. And bacon. <laughs> his eyes, like, bug out of his head when he says bacon. Yeah, that was a super uncomfortable scene. Even, like, that scene and the third act were, like, so he asks he asks for bacon, but then when he urinates on Spader's shoes, he says asparagus. Yeah, for no reason. For yeah, no, when I, for, I initially I don't know about how you felt, but I'm like, man, this this wolf needs to drink more water. Like, was the deer eating asparagus? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, where were you? When did he ever have asparagus? This is all part of his get him plan, right? I'm going to go into work tomorrow, and I'm probably going to have the opportunity to pee on his shoe. You know what? Daddy's going to get a little asparagus tonight. <laughs> Was there a trope, a device, or a cliche that worked for you in this movie? Um, I, I, I did, I did enjoy the heightened senses stuff, right? Like I thought that was you need it in a in a werewolf movie um and i and i mean i think i'm in the same boat as you like i mean i'm i am a sucker for for werewolf films um i'm still trying to think of like what's the best werewolf movie i've ever seen and it's a it's a tough one right i mean it's you really need the magic around the werewolf because just sort of the menace of a wild animal is not going to do it for you right Mm mm-hmm You've got to have some kind of intelligence behind it. So, like, now he's he's got all of the power of a wolf, but he's got the intelligence of a god or something like that. Right. Um, you need that, or you need to have some kind of element of a curse around it. Right. And I don't know if I... The heightened census thing, both the eyesight, his eyesight improves. He doesn't need his glasses anymore, right? Right. And he can hear better. And he can smell better. So he's got all of the crucial sensory. Well, he's superhuman. He becomes superhuman. Right. And and I and I what I like about it is in most like especially like the 
what werewolf movies when they say, "Hey, we're gonna take a wolf in our world," but I like the idea of like, "Hey, he's, he's turned into a wolf, and now he's got these heightened senses. This is how he's gonna use those in mm-hmm. this environment, right?" So he's right. using it to his advantage in business, or well, he's you know, using <laughs> in publishing. <laughs> in publishing, I know. So let's go back to who is this for? I'm telling you, it's for me. It's an it's insane. It's insane. He's a publisher. <laughs> Who's who's not and the big the big wolf out plan like so when when Michael J Fox dunks or can can surf on Styles' van with a, a you know a higher degree of mm-hmm. of panache yeah, all of every... that is all of that is wonderful but then this guy's like, I'm gonna take these wolf powers and you know what I'm gonna do I'm gonna devise a plan to get some of my clients to come with me to a different publishing house and say oh man only a wolf could have pulled that off. See, as a teenage boy, I can kind of like see fantasizing about like surfing on top of a van or slam dunking a basketball, becoming a, sort of the best basketball player in the school. Well, if you look at the other basketball players on that team, it's not that hard to become the best basketball player on the team. That's true. That's true. Because they were all, there was like, I think at one point there was like a 42 year old fat guy on the team starting. That's right. But as an adult, especially as someone who writes books, tries to get them published. I want someone like Jack as the head of my publishing department. Okay. This movie is for me. (laughs) Okay. I mean, yeah. I want the universe of Teen Wolf, but I want someone with the charisma of Moonlighting. That's what I want. You just want someone as as a representative for your your novel. Yeah. I'm telling you. But but you know that at some point he's going to turn into an animatronic wolf puppet and he's no good to you. <laughs> By that point, I've enjoyed the ride. I can imagine like Michelle Pfeiffer wolfing out now. Like I, I'm really sort of at this point, I'm more invested in her wolfing out than him. Well, of course you're invested in it because I think 30 minutes of the movie was just a close up of her eyes. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> That was the other thing. Well, this movie did not... We talk about the length of the Batman. This movie, there was... I'm like, just tighten this up, please. I get it. I watched this twice. Oh, my God. I want you to know. I had never seen it before, and I enjoyed it so much, I watched it twice. So I had to watch this, uh, like, hiding at one point in in the room, because my wife was trying to sleep, and she has zero desire. I've introduced her to this early in our marriage, and... uh, it was definitely, uh, See, I, it, it was a tension point. For me, I was watching this in the living room. My son was in the kitchen, and I was just cackling. I was laughing so hard. So he, <laughs> he was he was curious. I, you got to come in here and watch really bad effects. It's like, oh, I man. don't really want to, Dad. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. I know. It is. It is. It's in, a very watchable, but like. Like, okay, imagine it's a love story, right? I mean, that's kind of, to some degree it is, right? I, I guess. But I don't think it's a love story that's very compelling for somebody Well, they're who might both be... bad people, right? So you're right. thinking... So you're like, okay, if you go to a movie for a love story, okay, you're probably not into it. Okay, so that maybe takes out that crowd. So then yeah. there's like, okay, well, there's this, there's kind of a, a business element, right, of, of trying to, to make it maybe when you feel that you've been replaced because of your age or just your overall... Yeah, this is the dog-eat-dog dog world yeah. of publishing, right? Yeah, and 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 then you go, okay, well, uh, that's, that's interesting to me. It's like, yeah, and it's going to be specifically on publishing, and it's going to be just a lot of conversation about, you know, maybe 
taking clients and doing, you know, like nothing like, ah, wow, that was really amazing. And then, okay, so so that maybe doesn't really appeal to that crowd either. And then the other crowd, which I would think it's probably appealing to the most, is the werewolf crowd. Yeah, my hand is up now. Right? And your hand is definitely up. So you're like, okay, I guess this movie's for me. And I'm like, all right, I'm into the werewolf too. But now I've got the other stuff going on. So I'm, I'm not... I'm not sure, like, I'm like, is this, it felt a very, it was, he was a very werewolf neutral to me, right? Like, it just felt mm-hmm. like there wasn't, like, he felt more werewolf adjacent than he was a werewolf. And... This is a lot of the same plot as Jerry Maguire, by the way. Remember when, <laughs> when Jerry Maguire tries to steal the sports clients for a new agency, right? Uh-huh. And uh, that was kind of very similar to what happens in this movie, the difference here is that Jerry Maguire was not a werewolf. Right. Interesting, then, how maybe take the werewolf element out and you've got a better wolf movie. <laughs> or maybe put Cuba Gooding Jr. in this movie. As radio. <laughs> when, he, when the full moon comes out. Jack Nicholson turns into Cuba Gooding Jr. as radio. Now, you know what? We'll talk about hands up. Who's that movie for? That movie's for me. That was 100% for me. <laughs> so the de- <laughs> the device that worked for me was when, when, whenever, the, <laughs> whenever the horses got spooked, I thought <laughs> this is I, – I needed the horses around. I mean, the horses were telling me how to feel, right? Yeah. Jack, <laughs> Jack was walking along. And everyone else is treating him like he's just some other guy at a party. The horses get spooked and you know, no, something's happening with this guy. He is evolving into something that's not human. <laughs> I love how Michelle Pfeiffer falls off the horse, right? Uh-huh. At this point, no one knows he's a werewolf, right? And so he's visiting the dad and, and he, to tell him, uh, mm-hmm. I'm not taking the job. And then he leaves. I'm like, well, that was, that's right up there with, I'm going to get you. Right. I mean, in terms of he gets all the way, gets through the gate, walks in there and says, I just want to let you know I'm not going to take the Eastern Europe job. And he leaves like there was no like big moment. He just like he could have called. And and then so he and he walks out and then and then Michelle Pfeiffer is just running around in circles on the lawn because whatever. She's rich. And he walks up and then the horse knocks her off. And then she just says to him, I can't believe you would go near a horse when you know that horses are scared of you. She, she's very intuitive. This one, and I just well, you know, I don't know. Like, so it's known at least to some people that dude and horses do not mix. That's way more interesting to me right now, like than anything else. Like, if I if you were to introduce me to a friend, this is my buddy. He runs a publishing company. I'm like, oh, cool. Oh, and also, uh, if he's around, make sure your horses aren't. I have. A lot of questions that are not going to simply be answered by, oh, he spooks horses when he gets near them. For some reason. I need more. This guy <laughs> and horses do not mix. The idea that it's like, yeah, dude, he's good guys. You know, he's, he's clever. He's really good at, at being able to network and get you kind of get you the right path for your novel. Also, horses can't stand to be around them. They just rear up and freak out. Um, also, uh, he makes an amazing pesto lasagna. Uh, what else? What else? You know. <laughs> 
Just... Can we go back to the horses part? What, what is this about the horses? Yeah, when you say they rear up, is he doing something? Is he making a noise? Is he running at them like boogly boogly? Like what's he? No, just if a horse sees him, it will freak out. It's just I don't know how what more I have to say. Like, like let's go back to the lasagna thing. What he does, uh, it's it's the pine nuts, right? Like he he roasts them. No, I'm just I'm. Why do they horses? <laughs> how do you, how do you know this? Yeah. Oh, we've seen it. We've seen it a bunch. Every party we've ever gone to with horses. Yeah. <laughs> so that would be a way more like Teen Wolfy subplot, right? Where like he's now fixing horse racing. <laughs> you know, so he's bet he bets on a horse, right? But then he goes yeah. and he visits the other horse. <laughs> or bring this guy into a cowboy movie. Just... Or the Civil War or something like this. Like this guy. He spooks all the horses of the entire Confederate army. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This could be this. He's such a a weapon. Uh, all right. If this movie wasn't called Wolf, but was instead called Horse Question Mark, I think I'm in. <laughs> Is there one tweak to, that you that you would do to improve this movie? Uh, um, I. I wonder if it's the director. You think this guy can do the graduate, but that's about yeah, there was it. The, there was nothing about the graduate that said, "Oh, I bet you this guy could do werewolves too." There was the one scene in the graduate where they go into the burlesque show that reminded me a little bit of this movie. Because <laughs> the horses freaked out in there too. The horses could not stand the burlesque dancers. That's right. Um, I was going to say less saxophone. I, I just want less saxophone. Yeah, see, this is where you and I will have uh, a difference of opinion because... You wanted more the, saxophone? The abandonment of saxophone in, in uh, film is has been an issue, I think, uh, for, well, all right, for look, decades, right? Let's just say this. If you're going to do saxophone, it absolutely has to be accompanied by synthesizer. Okay. Well, but like if you look at Lethal Weapon... Um, there's so much saxophone in Lethal Weapon that I'm surprised that the saxophone wasn't like third billing after Gibson Glover. Because the saxophone has more dialogue than I think uh, even Danny Glover has at times. And I like it. I mean, put this, I mean, I think it would have been better if also Jack Nicholson's Wolf Powers gave him the ability to play a mean saxophone. Like, that changes a lot, right? Because he's like, oh, I want bacon. I want to have uh, uncontrollable sex. And hey, check this out. <laughs> so now you know why Kenny G has this luscious mane of hair is because he's in the process of wolfing out. <laughs> Was there a half to battle one to grow on moment in this film? Hey, you know what? It's This is a... This is all about ageism in the workplace, right? That's what it... Oh, you're right. I hadn't thought about that. That's, he's that's, getting that's, aged out. He's getting aged out by by a younger guy, and it just makes sense, right? They're like, look, we're trying to get to the new demographic, blah, 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 blah. And uh, and so that's... This, to me, that's what this whole film was attempting to do, right? It's trying to say, look, you gotta... If you're gonna try to survive, especially as an older guy in, in business, you're mm. gonna have to... You're gonna have to tap into. You're gonna have to tap into that youthful energy that, because uh, James Spader was already like. But he, it's interesting too because like they both were, 
like you said, you kind of like said they're more of a puppy, right? So mm-hmm. in some degree, like James Spader was obviously uh, conniving, but to his face, he would he would what what do you want me to do? I'll resign today. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. he's like, I want you to resign, and he says, Well, I'm not going to do that. So why did I say that? <laughs> I uh, you know this whole movie is about territory, right? It's like um, the movie doesn't happen. First off, you have Jack in territory that's not his own, right? He's he's left the city. He's gone into the wilderness. He was somewhere in New England. Vermont, gets, I think. Right? Yeah, Vermont. There you go. He gets bit by a wolf. And when he comes back, he notices that there's been some a guy that's sleeping with his wife. And he can smell it on his wife's clothing, right? Right. So now all of a sudden he's starting to feel territorial, and he 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 goes to confront. So he could smell the tequila on a guy walking by, but he has to bury his face into the. The, the way that I read that was that it could have been a scent from a few days ago or something. Mm. Anyway, he goes to confront his wife and whoever her wife's lover is, and when he gets to the place, on his way up to the apartment, he bites Spader. And none of this would have happened if he wasn't territorial about his wife. Mm. So he bites Spader, and all of a sudden you've got these two wolves vying for territory. And, of course, that parallels what's going on at the publishing house. And we see and we see the two wolves. We see the true, true nature of these wolves, right? So James Spader, who is kind of, like I just said, he's conniving. He's mm-hmm. kind of going behind people's backs. But to their face, he's, he's one thing. When he becomes a wolf, it's out. I mean, he's out. Like, you see what he really is, right? That's Whereas right. Nicholson still has, uh, there. there is a, obviously there's a self-serving side, but there's this element of, like, it seems like it's still in the best interest of not just himself, but maybe other well, people. Well, and right? he has he's, a he's, couple he's moments got... where he's like, what did I just do? Like, Right, and he's not like a lone wolf. He's kind of more, more of a pack wolf, right? I mean, he's got his team, and he's still looking out for them. In fact, he even sets it up that if something should happen to him that he's mm-hmm. named his successor, right? And so yeah. there's an interesting way that he's still he's still taking care of people. So so there's supposed to be like an inherent, I think, goodness mm-hmm. to to Jack Nicholson throughout versus James Spader, who is just, you know, clearly uh, he's a problem, right? I mean, he kills Jack Nicholson's wife, you know? I mean, it's... So after the movie's done, my, I'm sitting there with my son... And it's sort of this really nice heart-to-heart moment between father and son. And I said, you know, son, you think that the worst part of being a werewolf is that you lose control and wolf out. But, in fact, the worst part of being a werewolf is that it's just lonely. And I think that that is exactly what happens to the over-territorial male. He just becomes a sad, lonely creature. And so for me, Steve, that is the half the battle, one to grow on moment. You know, you get too territorial in life. You're going to find yourself a, a, a lonely man. Bite less. <laughs> Just bite a little less. Just bite a little less. So he's, he's, a werewolf. he's a wolf now. That's it. You don't know, but you don't know how long he's going to be a wolf. You're saying it's a cycle? You think he's going to be a wolf indefinitely? think that's what he was doing he was turning into it right because some of these some of these ancient stories people would be like a werewolf for like seven years and if they can like refrain from eating human flesh for seven years they get to come back to society and be a a human again 
But the thing is, and then then you know we see him turning into a, he becomes a wolf, you know, full time, um, and then so that's what she's gonna do, right? Yeah, she's that's gonna the wolf out. They'll find each other. They'll have little pups together. Is that the hope? Is that my hope? I mean, I right now, I feel really lonely for Jack. He's out. He's out in the wilderness. He's just he's wolfed out. He doesn't out. look like a wolf, like a real one, anyway. No, he looks like a puppet. Yeah, he will go that. find a Michelle Pfeiffer looking puppet wolf. At some point, he'll be like, "Hey, you also don't look like a wolf." <laughs> I'm gonna get you. Uh, Steve, is this better, worse, or on par with a Ron Howard movie? This feels properly Howard to me. I thought you were gonna go below. No, I Look, thought I was gonna. I, so sh- I thought I was gonna shock you by saying this is properly Howard. No, because because let's. What, what do I as as we have continued to uh, force this rating on uh, our listeners? Uh, I've become a believer in it, and um, and I say that that if a Howard movie is is you take a good cast uh-huh. and you get them to perform well and achieve less than what those mm-hmm. parts should add up to. And so for me, uh, because I kept saying, who is this for? But also I'm like, like and it, I, I think that they're all doing everything that they could. Cause I, cause I think if Nicholson goes over the top, which he certainly could have, like, I think it becomes more unwatchable yeah. right no i think that in the hands of ron howard if you, if you say look we need you to do a werewolf movie you probably come up with something that's pretty near to this yeah i would think so because like i said i think there's a lot of things happening and none of them are achieving any one great thing right so they're the, uh, but it's a very watchable movie. That's the thing. It about is it. very watchable. But but it, yeah. So I'm like I'm not really compelled with the love story because not only are they just flawed, but I'm like I'm not even sure that they're exploring the flawed part enough. I think they're actually feels like at moments they're trying to make it so that you're like, oh good, I do want these two together. But there's no reason for that, you know. But it kind of assumes it. And same thing with I think the business side of it. It's like I think it assumes that like that's that's sufficient, right? I think I think this plan that he's got is sufficient. So you're rooting for him now. I'm like I, I guess. So there's just a lot of like all right, and then he's like oh but he's a wolf, and it's like oh but here comes a really bad wolf. Here comes a really bad wolf, <laughs> and then you're like so like every every time that there's something like it's like they almost try to cheat their way mm-hmm. into making you think that that's a better that's a better outcome or or like I'm on Jack's side because I I can't be on James Spader's exactly. side, right? You know, it makes me wonder like if let's say that there was a Frankenstein, there's a version of Frankenstein where he becomes a monster and everyone is freaked out because of the monster, right? Right. But now there's a bad Frankenstein. Still, we have to watch Monster Squad. I feel like this will settle a lot of the story. Okay, all right. <laughs> should, should we do that? It's got next? it all. It's got it all. It's got vampires. It's got werewolf. It's got Frankenstein. All right. I think that we have to do Monster Squad. So why don't we just commit to do that next and give our listeners a little heads up if they haven't seen Monster Squad. Like me, I have not seen Monster Squad. Unbelievable. Uh, and I'm going to watch it for the very first time this week. I like to think there's probably a lot of our listeners are going to watch Monster Squad for the first time ever. Because I think they probably thought up until this point that Monster Squad right, was just a, right, like a made-up thing that I would do. Let's do this. All right. What's some advice that you could give me 
for sort of prepping myself to watch Monster Squad for the first time. Should I do? Should I invite my wife and my kids? Should I? Should I get out the scotch? Like, what? What would be the optimal condition for watching Monster Squad for the very first time? I, I, you have to have your son watch it. Okay, all right. Um, I would, I would suggest bringing the entire family in uh, to watch it and give them permission to leave when they're done with it. And you can mark just be me at the end. And you can mark when those moments are because I think that would be valuable for the podcast. And um, I think I don't know that it requires scotch, but it certainly requires something. (laughs) Um, I would. I mean, I would. I would uh, maybe a tall can of White Claw. Okay. All right. Well, that's good. All right. So, if people listening at home, this is this is the home version. This is Cocoons of Horror, <laughs> the board game that you can play at home. Pop out Monster Squad. Get your loved ones around. Say that we're going to do this as a family. Maybe get a little lubed up, and then <laughs> you know, write in and tell us when your loved one left the room, and what their <laughs> opinion of you is now. That that's what we right. that's what we want to hear. Oh man. I'm hoping. I'm hoping at least four or five people do this and I can actually read those during our Monster Squad coverage. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, a little bit of uh Apple iTunes business here. Okay. Marshall or L Marshall says old movies and comic relief. These guys are a pleasure to listen to. And I find myself laughing alone in the car anytime I listen. They are the perfect balance of smart and hilarious. Check out their other podcasts as well if you are a Game of Thrones or Stranger Things fan. This guy listens in the car, Steve. Okay. What do you like to listen to in the car? I listen to... I have been listening to our podcast on occasion in the car. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, But then I'm like, you know what? I should probably stay awake if I'm driving. So I... (laughs) have been focused mostly on um yacht rock still with the yacht rock huh still with the yacht rock it's well it's evergreen it's timeless you're just faithful you're the you're the yacht rock guy right i mean it's life would be so much simpler if michael mcdonald would just echo what you would say in real life (laughs) you just just always in the background yeah i was and i'm always so bad for him because like i feel like on his own songs he's like i don't know what to do (laughs) He's sort of like the all-time background vocalist. Yeah, and so he's just he's got his own solo thing, and he's like, "Well, who's who's looking out for me? Who's backing me up?" <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's say you're not listening to Yacht Rock, because I mean, mm-hmm. come on, you can't be listening to Yacht Rock all the time. No. no Do you mix it up? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I uh, I'll go through the '80s station, the '90s station. Um, I you know I I I dip my toe into the grunge station for sure. Interesting. Yeah, I'm not opposed to hip hop. In fact, I'm trying to get better with uh, newer hip hop. Um, yeah, my son is really into newer hip hop. For some reason, like I can hear myself getting older as I speak when I complain about auto tune. Mm, right. You know, it's just sort of like, hey, back in the day, either you could do it or you couldn't. Right. Well, it was the same thing. You could either afford Michael McDonald in the background or you couldn't. <laughs> well, and 
I, and the thing is, and I, and I feel bad. Like, oh, I can't keep track of these artists. I'm like, you know, I don't know that I ever really could. I mean, because there was a period in the 90s where, like, if you're going to tell me that there's a difference between Three Doors Down and Blink-182 and Sublime, and right now I'm sure a lot of people are just throwing their headsets down. Like, how could you even think they're the same? You know, or let's take a journey into the into the aughts, right? I'm like, I'll be honest, your Panic at the Discos versus your Fallout Boys, hey, I'm just going to have to take your word for it. I hear that, and I that was never my scene anyway. I, my musical tastes have always been like 30 years behind. Right. And because of that, so like my son will be playing... I believe you, know, you referred to a song as Jim Croce's latest the other day. <laughs> He's got a lot of potential. <laughs> Don McLean has really got a lot of potential. Yeah, the, the, I mean, it's like, you're right, that is the latest Jim Croce, but I think it was 1978. <laughs> So, because of my son's musical tastes, I have tried to begin to introduce him to old school rap, right? Which mm-hmm. can be really bad. It can be really bad, <laughs> but I have a certain affection for it. Sure. And then I realized the stuff that I was not into in the late 90s was actually really good. Oh, yeah, yeah. So now you're a late adopter to that. So I'm. I, I mean, I wouldn't say I. It's it's new to me, but now it's like I will turn it on. I will, I will turn on, and I will listen to Tribe or whatever, just oh, okay. on my own when he's not in the car, and he appreciates it to a certain extent. Right. So, so, so for you, you're like, hey, man, this this new band. Yeah. The other day, my daughter told me that the Beatles broke up, and I cried. <laughs> I got even worse news for you about the <laughs> which ones are left. <laughs> Don't tell me I haven't watched the documentary yet. <laughs> yeah, it's a big spoiler alert at the end. I don't want to. Guys, okay, if you haven't, if you don't know who's died on the Beatles, please stop listening to this podcast. All right. Next one. So thank you, uh, L. Marshall. This is from Finney. He says, two charismatic people that are funny and a joy to listen to. The title of his review is Laughed Out Loud. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to talk about laughing out loud. Right. I feel like because of the lull feature of text culture, that there's just a lot of deception happening in the world about right. how much laughing is actually happening. Right. I, I don't trust it. I, w- I just never trust it. I always feel like you are deceiving me. Right. I mean, but there's people that, you know, like they nervous laugh, like you'll talk to them mm-hmm. and then they'll kind of live a little chuckle at the end, like they, they're insecure about what they're saying. And I'm wondering if now that's translated into text culture, where people have, like, nervous lols. They just write it in there. (laughs) So let me ask you this. Do you – how often will you register something as funny and not laugh at it? Probably, like, 98% of the time. 98%. Yeah, I I would imagine. So is it performative? Or, like, for instance – Will you be watching something at home and find yourself giggling out loud and realize, oh, that actually got an audible giggle out of me? Yeah, I'm I'm much more of a GTM than an LOL. I mean, I'll giggle to myself. Um, mm. It's and and there are things that make me laugh. Then there are times where I question, did I really like? If I did, I need to laugh right then, or did I want to laugh? Like I mm-hmm. I genuinely think it was funny, and I like the idea of laughing, so I do it. Like. Mm-hmm. It's like my fake orgasm. Yeah. I've been told by listeners that I might laugh too often. Mm. But I kind of feel like 
if this is my worst trait, I mean, let, let's be honest, it is not my worst trait. No, I, I can vouch for that. That's a different it's podcast. It's certainly not my worst trait. But if that's the criticism I'm getting, I'm fine with that. I, well, and I think one thing that's implied in there is it's actually it's less of a criticism of you and more of a criticism of me. Because chances are you're laughing at something I said. And what they're saying is, it's not that funny, Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you're right about one yeah. of those things. Yeah. All right. Now, this is not related to Cocoons of Horror. This is related to Perfect Stranger Things, and I thought I'd share this with you and get your feedback. Okay. So, I don't have a lot of stats for that podcast, but one of the things that I get from time to time is I'll get an email telling me where Perfect Stranger Things ranks per country. Okay. Like just for to give you an example, in the United States, under TV reviews, we're seventy second in the United States. Right, so yeah, you know, nothing to write home about. Well, right? I don't know. Well, we don't. We're seventy two of what? Of any, anything that's categorized under Apple iTunes reviews as TV reviews. All right. Well, but yeah, so I mean, 72, if you're telling me there's 80 total, then I'm guessing there are several 800,000. I'm like, what? You know what I mean? But here's the good news, Steve. Just this last week, we jumped 127 ranks to become the 18th most popular TV review podcast in Ireland. What? (laughs) We're huge in Ireland. We're in the top twenty in wow in, in Ireland. I assume I assume it's my rosacea. <laughs> and I recently I, I put Belfast pretty low on our re- film reviews, so I, I don't think that's it. Right. Well, you might. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's an interesting one. I don't. I mean, I'm trying to think of. I mean, we're. I think we're sober every time we do the podcast too, which is weird. Well, most most of the time. And. Yeah. So, assuming that it'd be it's good business practice for us to lean into our successes, is there anything that Mm. that maybe we could do for our Irish listeners to sort of just show them appreciation? So this is, but yeah, so this is on the perfect stranger thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we make sure. I don't want to be chasing after the wind on cocoons of horror and find out that we're just not hitting in Ireland. Clearly, it's it's, yes. Clearly, we could be doing Um, better all around. But well, here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say this to all of our Irish listeners that are growing. As long as I have breath in my lungs, you will not have another potato famine. (laughs) Wow, those are some prophetic words. I'm, I'm drawing my line in the sand right now. Well, you know, I do have some Irish heritage. Um, you're you're what are you? You're British or English or something along those lines? I've heard I've, I've heard I got a lot of German. Like, so my family was like, well, you're you're like whatever you're not German, you're Austrian, and it felt felt redundant. And I like to think that there's more to me than that. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I take a really good look at myself and I go, there might be less. <laughs> okay. I mean, I don't whatever. What's the opposite of culture? Because that's what I kind of feel like I exude. Los Angeles. Okay, yeah. So I I give up those L.A. vibes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cocoonsahorror at gmail.com if you want to send us feedback. Of course, if you write an Apple iTunes review for Cocoons of Horror, 
I promise you it will be read. We are crowdsourcing content. You create the content and the Irish reap the benefits. That's, yeah. It's about time.